the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 278. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Bill Bennett. And I'm Craig Young. Welcome along, gentlemen. Thank you very much for, uh, for joining me on this episode. Bill, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this world of technology and the media? Oh, I'm an international man of mystery. I'm actually a journalist. Um, I write about technology and business and those kinds of things. I've been doing it forever. Can be found in places like New Zealand Business and New Zealand Herald and so on. Great. And uh, Craig, you're, this is your first time on the show, so you, you'd better give us a good, a good intro. Yeah, thanks, Paul. And after... Bill's introduction, I'm not a man of mystery, or n- <laughs> neither am I international. So I'm the CEO of TUANS, or the Telecommunications Users Association. We're an organisation that's been around 30 years this year. It started back in the 80s, about the time of the New Zealand Post was bringing out digital services and people were trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do with these with our business? And so over 30 years we've been working with members and with advocating for better connectivity across the uh, nation and that's the sort of stuff that we're into so basically it's about how you use the digital stuff yeah great all right well let's jump into it so first up we have uh we've heard that the sales of pcs are um pretty much at their worst state ever well not well, quite, not quite ever because uh, there was a, there was a time when uh, there were virtually no pcs <laughs> sold but Bill, what, what's going on here with uh, PC sl- shipments uh, s- sliding? Yeah, they're back down to 2007 levels in terms of dollars, but of course the dollar's worth a bit less now. So that's actually a real drop back about 10 years, to about, well, they were about 10 years ago. Well, it's two things. One is people are not replacing their PCs as much as they were. There's not a lot of need to. And also they're a lot better than they were, so they, they're more robust. There's no sort of compelling new apps, no compelling new operating systems that mean you've, you know, you're forced into an upgrade. It's it's kind of what's been really affecting the market for the last couple of years. One of the interesting things I noticed was that the only company to increase its market share was Apple, but they're down, their sales are down as well. I think Lenovo, Lenovo has um, has uh, perked up as well in the last survey but it's really i mean i think the the days of pcs being at the top of the pyramid are well and truly over now i mean it's phones phones and phones um, with a little bit of tablets on top and the pc is starting to move into the background and it's probably only going to go down from here i think i don't think they're going to go any, away anytime soon i just think they're going to become more of a specialist device in much the same way that desktops became specialists within the PC business. Yeah, because we're talking uh, laptops, two-in-ones, and, yeah. and PCs, aren't we? Cert- certainly PCs and laptops with these the stats. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we're talking everything except pure tablets. Yeah, they're on their way. As I say, it's, it's kind of on its way out. It's no longer the peak device. Well, I'm looking at you two. What have we got? A Surface over here and a tablet over here. Yeah. And so where's the PC? We haven't got it in the room. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we're certainly going through that uh, that transition. And I was at this uh, not-for-profit conference today that I was speaking at uh, with TechSoup, and yeah, I was curious to look look around the room and just see what sort of devices people had. The Surface is definitely one of those things that's a lot more noticeable. But of course, the Surface is a PC. It's kind of that that hybrid uh, hybrid device, and it seems to be 
seems to be growing in, in terms of interest and probably the iPad is, is probably falling a little bit as people have, have moved into a device that replaces their tablet and their, uh, their, their laptop or, or traditional PC. Yeah, I think the that um, hybrid market is the is the one bright spot, and everyone's talking about how great it is. I mean, when I was up at um, up at Barcelona for the Mobile World Congress, that's what Huawei launched there, um, and they were talking up the, the you know the the fact that that's the most popular segment. But it's still a relatively small segment. It's still only about one in ten devices that sold would, would qualify as a hybrid, and even if that's going up at say ten twenty percent year on year. But that doesn't really affect the overall numbers at all. Yeah, I mean we're not we're not really noticing Microsoft get, get getting listed as a vendor that's uh, has, has any significant market share, are we? But I'm sure eventually the the direction things are going, they're going to end up on um, on one of these radars. Yeah, I think you're right. All right. Now, last 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 week we we had a little bit of a challenge actually getting into the studio. So I was going to sit down with Nate Dunn, and uh, we were going to chat through actually some of the topics that are uh, that are still on the on the list this week. Um, I had come back from San Francisco, and yeah, there were there were a few interesting bits and pieces to talk about. There was of course also Microsoft Build Conference. Those that have li- listened in would would have caught the uh, shorter podcast that I recorded with Tom Warren from The Verge, and we chatted through some of the highlights there of build probably a couple of other things to uh, to chat about before we sort of close off uh, discussions on that one of the ones that certainly got quite a lot of attention there was uh, Xamarin now um, Bill you follow a little bit of these sort of developer type uh, type stories and and so on <laughs> but uh, this that was sort of quite quite big news at at, at build was uh, Microsoft had, had acquired Xamarin and uh, their their tool sets are, are ones that sort of sold alongside uh, Visual Studio so that uh, software developers can can use the same uh, code to basically build apps for uh, for multiple platforms iOS and Android and and uh, and Windows and really the big announcement there was you know following this acquisition which had really just just finalized that Microsoft were uh, moving the software to open source and uh, and basically giving giving it away for uh, for free yeah that's that's really the headline story there the open mm. source part mm. of that this is a, I mean this is just a we we're, we're seeing this continual sort of change within Microsoft aren't we and I think yeah. it's probably doing some some people's heads and particularly those from the sort of Linux open source community that sort of love to hate Microsoft and now Microsoft is sort of starting to starting to play the open source game and and, and start giving things away. The well, you wouldn't have seen it on Bill Gates' day, would you? Or so, certainly not in Barmer's no, day. That's no, that's right. No, and yeah, it's the, the people who spell Microsoft with a dollar sign instead of S, I think you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, look, that, that open source thing, in the past, I mean, until perhaps, I don't know, 18 months ago, maybe two years ago, anything that Microsoft does in the open source state space is it's a bit worrying because of that old embrace, extend, and eliminate model that they used to you know, used to do to get rid of anything that was troublesome. That's not the new Microsoft at all. They're, this is genuine. I think it's real, and you know it's good. I mean, Microsoft have actually gone from being you know, quite a worrying, monopolistic, scary thing for just about everyone in the industry um, to being you know a, a team player, a pretty good team player too. Yeah, it's it, it leaves us sort of leaves me wondering a little bit like, well, what else are we going to see from Microsoft over the over the next one, two, three, four, you know, five years? Because they 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 really are doing things that uh, are out of a completely different playbook from the Microsoft of old, 
and I'm I'm just trying to guess ahead in terms of well, what's the what's this whole thing going to look like? What will what will Microsoft be as an organisation? Because they seem to be making those moves that are going to ensure that they're going to be around for a fairly long time to come with these with these sorts of changes. But in terms of what that looks like and where the revenue comes from, etc., it, it's not entirely entirely clear how that's going to be made up. And I, I guess partly that's the nature of the, the technology world we're in, which is moving so fast, it's, it's pretty hard to predict the future anyway. Well, uh, yeah, I would say the old Microsoft would have probably tried to move towards the Google, Facebook model and trying to be a player in that space this microsoft is really trying to be um, an essential uh, part of the plumbing and i think that's what you know that's that's a smart move i think they i think what they've done is they're in, they're ensuring they remain relevant as a business uh, for everyone in the industry so well done microsoft Mm. Well, I mean, it seems in this in this case, I got chatting to the uh, the founders of uh, Xamarin, uh, Nat Friedman, and uh, Miguel de Acasa, and uh, yeah, it seemed, seemed and Miguel was a real Linux guy at one point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, yeah. these are uh, certainly not. Yeah, Miguel's certainly not your uh, usual sort of Microsoft company yeah. man. But you know, it, it seemed like that. In, in this sort of negotiation process they've been through, part of the bit that that really got them across the line, and, and I'm sure the hundreds of millions which uh, apparently Microsoft paid, and I'm not sure the exact figure. I saw numbers ranging from 400 to maybe six to 800 uh, uh, million. So um, 100 million here. 100 million. Uh, yeah, when, right, yeah. when you get up with those sort of <laughs> figures, it's it's hard not to be able to convince people. But the what they told me was a key part of it was Microsoft basically agreeing to uh, to give their stuff away for free, and um, and then the icing on the cake was was open sourcing it. So uh, yeah, well, well done, uh, well done, Microsoft there. So so fascinating times ahead. There were a whole whole bunch of other things there at at the build conference. Won't dive in too much there because we we certainly covered one or two of those la- last week, but. The Microsoft, I guess you could you could say, are continuing to do lots and lots and lots of things, and it's and it's actually quite hard to to cover all of the things that Microsoft does now because they've got their fingers in in, in just so many pies, and it, it's hard to know which things to uh, which things to actually uh, dr- drill into. I can remember the days when I used to cover Microsoft, and we're talking now, perhaps fifteen twenty years ago, when the company could only really do or talk about one thing at a time. And the joke used to go that it couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. And so for six months, all they would talk about would be NT. Nothing else was on the agenda in marketing, anything external at all. Then it would switch to Microsoft printing technologies for three months and then it'd be something else but they never had that many things to talk about back then did they no so it wasn't the th- quite so hard but the thing was is that it would just turn the entire focus onto one thing now they're doing the exact opposite they're actually it's it's much more organic and lots of little things happening all the time progress of it i mean one of the things on the list which we're not going to dive into too much is that windows anniversary update which it kind of passed without much you know it wasn't it wasn't a headline story at all yet it wasn't so long ago that a new uh, big point one version of Windows would have been a big news story. I mean, there might have even been people queuing to get it at one point. It it came and went. It was a background thing. They're very much moving more towards the evolution yeah. phase rather than you know the big revolution, revolutions which you have to pay for. So, I mean, they've got away from that as well. So, yeah. I mean, the whole idea of Windows 10 being a free upgrade in the first place was, was pretty 
out there for Microsoft. So an anniversary update, which is also free and is probably going to be pushed to your PC and you're probably not even going to know it's arrived, is another side of the story as well. Yeah, but it's a, it's a maturing – the company's maturing in a business sense, but it's also maturing in technology as well. It's, it's good. Microsoft is um, on the positive side of the ledger these days. And there's a lot of what they do that we don't see, particularly at the consumer space. Yeah. So we used to talk a lot about Windows you're right, 95, 98, NT, etc. But, you know, their Azure platform is a, where a lot of their work is going. And there, were, there was certainly a lot of noise around you know, Azure at mm. the event. And, in fact, I went in and did a, um, a session with them, which involved basically taking one of one of these little um, uh, kit devices and, you know, their whole, whole range for this um, IoT or um, yeah for this IoT workshop and Internet of Things and uh, we were able to basically take one of these little mini PC boards that you power off a USB etc and um, the these and I was expecting yeah the old Microsoft I was expecting well these boards that they're giving us these are going to be systems that are uh, that are running Windows you know yeah. a, a version of Windows no no they were handing out Linux devices yeah. and varying other uh, yeah. Im- Im- embedded machines and uh, they were basically taking you through what the steps were to link them up to uh, to their Azure services yeah. so that you could you could create a, a, an IoT device that could measure the temperature, measure varying other sorts of things. They, they had a whole lot of uh, different sensors that you could plug in. And, yeah, they, they were completely agnostic in terms of what the technology was that it actually uh, ran. But you know what that's really about, don't you? It's because they're putting the user case first and not what we need to shift this month, which is a sign of a mature business. Well, they're still there to promote oh, Azure, but but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't Azure with Windows and Windows yeah. Phone and Microsoft start to finish. It's realizing yeah. they're, they're, they're one piece of the puzzle in a lot of cases, and yeah. that's partly just the way the world's changed as well. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was pleasing to see that it does it does seem to be sort of permeating right right through the organisation. It's amazing what happens when you're no longer a monopoly. Yes, <laughs> still making some good uh, some good money there by the by the looks of it. Yeah. Yeah, when they can afford to do those sorts of acquisitions without uh, really thinking about it too hard. Now, what's happening with with Spark? There, one of one of you can probably sort of jump in on on this. Now, we had um, Skinny that have been offering their uh, mobile broadband service where you could get broadband in your home, but not not using the uh, the chorus network, but using the mobile network for GLTE connection at home. Now, Spark have jumped jumped in obviously spark owns as it was apparent for uh, for skinny and of course spark have, have also recently announced that they've got uh, they've got a bit more um, uh, spectrum to play with so what does all this mean well that's exactly what it means they've got more spectrum to play with and they're uh, they're damn well going to use it fixed wireless broadband is is really a big deal around the world and it's uh, it's kind of competitive with but not entirely competitive with fiber i mean it's an alternative to fiber for, and it's it's a different user case different people would want one or the other really but the thing about it here is that because the entry price into fiber is so high because of the regulated price being i think it's 42 bucks a line to get into copper or fiber you know that kind of number you probably got the numbers better than me there craig but because of that that gives someone with um, wireless spectrum a lot of 42 dollars to play with in terms of margin going in with wireless fixed wireless broadband and that's exactly what's happened so it's like a toothpaste tube you squeeze the market one place and something pops up in another place and i think the other thing that's working in their favor is that 
because of the nature of our market, the way we've separated the access layer from the, the uh, telco. So when you deal with Spark or Vodafone or anyone else, they're using the same access network, the chorus network, right? So they've got to interface with that network. That's that's world leading and it gives us real benefits. But there are some downsides to that. As the person providing the service, I'm not in control of the entire experience the end customer gets. So by using my own network, my wireless network for these particular customers, I get to control the whole yeah. customer experience. So I, I know when the modem goes out, I know when it's plugged in, and I can control what happens. And they keep the margin. You're right, Bill. That's the yeah. point there too. It's your network that you're managing. And, and it was, it's really nicely priced as well. I mean, the, um, the skinny, I think, is – now, if I'm off the top of my head, it's $55 for 60 gig. That's right. And I th- yep. think that the Spark one is about 80 bucks. Is that right? Yeah, there is no unlimited on the Yeah, there's no board unlimited board. on either, yeah. It's but about the, 80 gig, I think, is the top. Yeah, but what's a, it's a great deal. I mean, if you were, say, flatting, you're a student away from home and you've got grotty broadband in your um, hall of residence or whatever, it's a fabulous product. It's just great for people that don't really need fibre. It's, uh, it's nice to have the option. I think the challenge, because it's not, is that it isn't unlimited. Why can't we just do all this over the mobile network? Suddenly, here it is, we've suddenly got this product that is is delivering over the mobile network, but we've just got that, that one constraint, which is just how much you can well, actually get for your money. And also the, the speed that you're currently getting off the mobile networks on the 4G networks are very equivalent to VDSL. Yeah. So that's what you're selling up against. Fibre, once you get beyond the 30 meg entrance point, so you get to the 100 yeah. megs, which you've got to pay a little bit more for. I think it's about 55 bucks. It doesn't, it doesn't stack up, but again, it's good enough to compete with VD. And the other thing that if you notice the Spark offering is they're being very careful where they're offering it. So one, the first thing they say is fibre is the first yep. choice. If you can get fibre, we get fibre. We're only going to sell you this wireless solution really if your copper broadband is really crap in your area and we can provide you with a better service over the wireless broadband. And if I was a wireless a mobile company, I'd be very careful about how much I sell of it initially so i can manage my network in my and i think they're doing spectrum yeah i talked to one of the tech guys at spark about this and there's plenty i mean one of the things that people have been worrying about is the capacity on the towers and it turns out that it's often a case of just putting more antennae on the tower to boost the uh, capacity and most towers don't have anything like you know anything like full at this stage so it can go a lot it can take a lot more people um the other thing i checked out was I thought, well, okay, what's happening in the rest of the world with fixed wireless broadband? And it turns out that in places like South Africa, that's how you get broadband. Yeah, it is. Right. But then they don't have fibre. And the, they will have unlimited plans in, in South Africa. But fibre's not, you know, for a lot of people in South Africa, fibre's not an option. So here I think it's being marketed quite wisely as an alternative, which it's going to stay and i think i think like craig it's going to be a while before we get unlimited plans i don't see that happening until at least 5g and you know we have um we have this situation where we've got those caps that you you talked about 60 gigs 80 gigs uh, type direction the curious thing will be where will it bounce up to from there if they got a lot of capacity to go to go further can can spark jump in and because we're told that usage doubles about every 12 months. In wow. fact, it was Spark that were telling us that the average, or Skinny was telling us that the average 
uh, home broadband usage was was forty gigabytes yeah. per connection. But that was last September. And Chorus's latest number is ninety six. Yeah. I yeah. Think. So there's a huge difference between the the number that was being touted around by Skinny and as you say the uh, the, the, the chorus number. But I'm, I'm with Bill on this one. That if you're in a situation like a flatter or a student, and you don't want anyone else to use your, you're paying for your broadband so you want to control it, then this modem makes complete sense because you can lock it down and you use the whole 80 gig. When you're in a situation with a family or multiple people in the houses, suddenly you've got to have a really solid underlying broadband service, and so fibre is going to be the number one choice. And the other thing I think about this is that we're really seeing the first serious generation of this technology. I mean, it's got a long way to go, like I said, 5G. We haven't really talked about that extra spectrum that Spark picked up, which they've told the Commerce Commission is going to be used for fixed wireless broadband. There's quite a lot of that spectrum too. I think there's about 75 uh, megahertz in the 2300 band so that's an awful lot of um, spectrum for fixed wireless if that's what they're going to be using so let's let's say that they do they use it to offer you a, a home broadband fixed type of uh, connection they roll out a new uh, router that that uh, you know supports that particular channel what range is that 2300 20, 2300 so yeah. you know they, they, they might need some new equipment in order to do that uh, but if they do and they've got a reasonably big chunk there then yeah they could be offering this where wherever they can uh, get get those connections to yeah well they? the rules the rules around the use of that spectrum are that they have to use it or lose it and that's part of the reason why they managed to pick it up yeah and because they've got the to use it this year as they well. they have to use it this year yeah. the other the other party wasn't going to be able to use it so yeah. they got out and got some money while they could and i think as it's something like they've got a, they've, it's got to be live in 15 local council areas or something like that yeah so, some perspective yeah. specific rules around it yeah and, and that was to stop spectrum parking, which yeah. we've seen in the previous in past arrangements. Yeah, yeah. But what's but but the other thing, of course, is that the next wave of technology, the four point five G, which will probably come to New Zealand as soon as it comes to anywhere else, you know, in in the world, it's gonna we're gonna be among the first people to have that. Is much much better at aggregating spectrum, so we'll see much more efficient spectrum use. So speeds will probably go up. Mm. The thing, the interesting thing with that, though, I think, Bill, is that we'll see that in urban New Zealand yeah, because of yeah. the use of technology and spectrum in urban New Zealand. In rural New Zealand, I still think the players are still going to use the 700 megahertz spectrum yeah. because of its reach and its capability. So you won't get the aggregation occurring in rural at the moment no. under in 4G just because of the use of the spectrum that's being used. Yeah, that's right. Now, I'd like to talk about Tesla. <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't they all? Now, Tesla haven't been in touch to offer us any uh, any vehicles yet, which I'm uh, a bit disappointed about. Bill, you haven't had any calls from uh, Tesla in the last few days, have you? No, if they gave me one, they wouldn't get it back. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, the the big news was that the, uh, the the Tesla Model 3 obviously got announced. Looks like a stunning vehicle. Last number that I saw around was that they've had uh, 325,000 pre-orders. Of course, those are orders that people can cancel. But I would think if you're anywhere up that list, you're uh, you're very unlikely to be actually cancelling that order because these things are a hot property. And of course, that um, Tesla have decided to to add New Zealand. So can you scout um, cars? Well, I was going to just. <laughs> didn't you have to make a deposit as well with the order? That thousand dollars US deposit. That's not bad, is it? No. You know, if you're a Tesla, that money's just come straight into your yeah. pop, into your bank account. So that's that's what three and a quarter billion. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's landed in their their bank account, which is rather good because Tesla are operating at a 
at a loss, and they're going to. I mean, they're, they're churning through enough money that they'll be through that, and uh, actually need to get themselves uh, sorted so that they can so they can actually deliver these vehicles, which are, of course are not not due to be delivered anywhere in the world. I think uh, you know the first ones roll out in in California in late 2017. So oh. it's it's a fair way off, and it's a fair way before we'll start but seeing them in New Zealand. Here's the weird thing: people are selling cars now like they were selling. I don't know Gmail or something. It's like a it's like a weird model for selling cars. People um, queuing up like on an iPhone. Queue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yeah, like selling an iPhone. Yeah, isn't that strange? It's I guess this is the new the new world that we're in, Bill. Yeah, and uh, and people will happily pay for uh, for something that's not going to be delivered for for you know probably for most people not going to see it for at least at least a couple of years and. Certainly going to create some uh, some real headaches for Tesla in terms of working out actually how they're going to make so many uh, vehicles and all the associated batteries and so on. Yeah, but it's it's all good fun stuff, and uh, yeah, we'll get to see them in New Zealand now. Just in in line with that, the Herald uh, published a video that was shared by I think it was the uh, the the CTO at uh, Silverstripe, who are a uh, content management open source uh, content management system uh, provider out of out of New Zealand, and it and it showed. Showed a chap uh, driving his his Tesla across the Auckland uh, Harbour Bridge with uh, hands off the wheel. That was kind of cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's scary as all. Mm. But yeah, cool. Sure. But it, you know, this is not the only vehicle that you can do it at the moment. No, we've so, got a, we've got a few now, haven't yeah, we? Well, my see um, my my treasurer because I'm a membership organisation on my board. I have a treasurer. He's a CIO of a rather large New Zealand company. He has a Swedish car, a Volvo. And uh, he's telling me the other day that he can drive from coming onto the motorway through Spaghetti Junction and over the bridge without, without his hands on the wheel. And that's with no connectivity too, so it doesn't need to be connected to any network. So it's not really an autonomous vehicle, it's a driver-assisted. But can I think as we said, he could eat his sandwich on his way to his next meeting. Yeah, and yeah. Mercedes do something you know, something similar. So with the sensors that are in these vehicles, what what we will see is we'll see those software updates coming through. Now, you know, personally, I would have a lot more confidence in what Tesla will do in terms of free software updates compared to what, what will happen from the other vendors who are a little bit more old school in terms of oh, their, their approach. It's like um, waiting for an Android update. Yeah, you, you've, got the, you've got these other vehicles that yeah. uh, you know, they might have the technology there, but the, there'll be one reason or another in most cases why they're saying, hey, you need to go and buy the new vehicle uh, to get this feature now, at the moment for Tesla, they're trying to convince people that that you should buy their uh, their product, and you know, I think they're they're taking that sort of Apple type route, which is hey, you buy the product now, and if there are new features later, then that'll just come in in, in a free software update, you know, as as has happened with the uh, the current sort of driver assist or semi autonomous uh, driving uh, capabilities. Well, it's a typical challenger model, right? So it doesn't matter what industry you're in. So we've seen it in telecommunications. You're the challenger starting from the scratch. It's it's easier to do those sorts of things to grab market share than it is to be an older, more substantiated company that you've got to try and hold on to stuff. So, yeah. you know, point. as Tesla, if I was them too, I would be looking at what's the differentiator that that brings me customers away from others. And that's being good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I was just going to say, I mean, if you go back to you know the technology that's in vehicles, I think most of us would be surprised at what technology is in our vehicle. And how many of our vehicles actually, if they had an upgrade, would actually be connected to a network? Because a lot of them have actually got cell phone technology yeah. already in them, just not livened up. Well, I was thinking about it the other day. I mean, I remember my first car. I mean, I don't want to tell you just how old I am, but 
Go on, Bill. You could fix most things in there with a coat hanger. And how much room was there in what? underneath the bonnet? You've been around the engine. Oh, was... yeah, yeah, plenty of room. Yeah. And, and you knew what everything was. Mm. Whereas the well, new... you had to in those days. Yeah. Those well, that's true. Yeah, I yeah. mean, now the, e- the engines and so on have got so reliable, you, yeah. you kind of get – we've got pretty lazy. You don't you don't have to look at them. Of course, moving to electric, the reliability factor goes up, but oh, then you've I... got some risk factor around the technology and, and it failing, which will uh, – which will create its own challenges. I haven't got my um, I haven't got my hands greasy in years on the car, but I, you know, but there was a time when everybody knew how to fix, do most of the basic fixes. Now they're just very sophisticated, and uh, you need a computer engineer to fix the car anyway. I, I still remember uh, one of the one of the cars that my brother had, and it uh, had a crank handle. Let's go back. You know, I I think that was the nature of you know him being a, being a, being a teenager and uh, what you get your hands on cheap at the at, at the time. It certainly wasn't the wasn't the norm in the uh, in the eighties, but there were there were still these old cars around and uh, it served a purpose. And of course, we've got used to now. For the car won't start, you call the AA. But uh, yeah. there was a time you could have grabbed that crank handle and uh, and got it started without having to wait for or the bump AA. start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, can't do that anymore. Right. I think there's a couple of other interesting things around driver assist and driverless vehicles that you know we need to talk about somewhere along the future, which is, first of all, the psychology of sitting in a car with your hands off the wheel when yeah. we're all so used to being in control, when we're in a moving device with other, devi- you know, other things moving around us and we have no sense of control of what we're doing. I think there's something in that. But then I think there's also the other side where there's a certain joy in driving a vehicle as well that is... Yeah. We don't want to lose that. Well, I don't personally want to lose it somewhere along the line. I don't have any joy driving on the Auckland motorway, but you know that yeah. piece of road through to Gisborne I from Fogatani, I'd probably want to drive that yeah, one. Yeah, and I was thinking exactly the same thing. I was, we were talking the other day about driving down to Wellington, and we were saying, well, let's go the back road, you know, when it goes through uh, righty and down the, you know, down the back. It's a beautiful road, but you've got to have your hands on the wheel on that road. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't let that one go. But it's just a beautiful drive it's just really enjoyable doing that oh look and the other thing is there are parts of new zealand's state highways where you can't get mobile signal either yeah so if you had a driverless vehicle that relied on a connectivity you might find yourself in some places where you're off the road pretty quick yeah and there are places i mean you imagine like i said earlier going over the hill road to takaka or somewhere like that and um, you're you're in the hands of that software developer who's Put the code in that car. Well, I mean, it does seem scary, but when when you think about uh, how much uh, data that they're actually collecting from all these different roads and all these different situations, we're moving into this time where computer the computer assisted learning is actually making these these automated driving mechanisms very very capable because they they every time a vehicle sort of goes through that with ultimately you know I know Tesla collect this information but more and more of the car manufacturers will be will be collecting all of that data of what happens in a particular situation whether your hands are on the wheel or not and basically preparing it for the next time and the next time and the next yeah, time and, and you, you aggregate that all together these vehicles are going to get pretty capable you're right but I'm, I still remember the blue screen of death <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm not sure these are, uh, these are these are windows based cars no, but, no. 
Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Well, that's a scary <laughs> thought, that one. Yeah. yeah. You still occasionally see those around when you're walking through airports, airports and things yeah. like that, and you go, really? You're yeah. still running that? Righto. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that technology is, is going to be, I mean, it has to be incredibly reliable for it to, uh, to make, make sense, of course, and it really has to get to a point where it's, it's so much safer than, um, than what what we can do as as human drivers, so it can't just be a little bit better. I think it has to be a, it has to be a lot better for people to have their confidence. Otherwise, every time something goes wrong, it's going to be uh, reported on, and and yeah. people will, will run scared. And Plus, you, it, we'll all know about it quick enough. And you don't want to you don't even want to start talking about the security on those systems and the hackability and those sorts of things as well. You know, that's something we really don't. Want to. Well, we've, we've already seen some issues in, in those regards. And mm. again, that's probably an area where uh, Tesla has has shown some leadership in terms of just how quickly they they address those things when an issue is found that they're able to push those software updates out within a very, very short space of time. So, you know, I think that model becomes very, very important for uh, for addressing security issues as we yeah. move into this mm. this world of, you know, internet connected everything. We have to see those, those things looked after and I think you know when you look at vehicles, uh, it's easy to justify that spend. But when you look at some of the other smaller gadgets that are internet connected and it might cost five dollars or ten dollars or fifty dollars or a hundred dollars, it's those ones which are going to be more of an issue, and it's going to be very hard to justify the cost of actually keeping them secure and and up to date. I think certainly in the in the shorter term, anyway, we'll see more issues down that track. Now, another news story that's um, that's come up is to do with the Pentagon. And uh, the Department, U.S. Department of Defense, uh, setting up this partnership with HackerOne on what they're calling the Hack the Pentagon Security Initiative. Now, this is pretty fascinating to me because of just how uh, how cautious that governments have been in the past around uh, hacking. When you look at the number, you know, people that have been uh, locked up for trying to uh, <laughs> hack into uh, military and 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 government type systems. But you know, now we're seeing the the Department of of Defense sort of line up with what we've what we've seen in in the in the tech industry in the security space this this bug bounty type situation where um, they're 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 opening up and uh, you know actively encouraging uh, hackers to to have a go at a at a particular target so it's it's not just a free for all for anyone to to hack into the uh, Department of Defense but. It's it's still very very curious to see this sort of uh, change take place. Yeah. I, I, I was just reading that thing. It's one hundred and fifty thousand US dollars worth of um, bounty. I suppose they'd call it. That's not enough, you know. That's not enough money. If you're a self-respecting hacker and you find a hole in the Pentagon, you can do a lot better than one hundred and fifty grand. I guess they're <laughs> they're they're relying on the good nature no, of the no. individuals, and uh, if somebody wasn't good natures that nature, then uh, the cash probably isn't big enough in incentive well, for them. Also, looking through the qualifications, you, there's only going to be about three people that can do it because yeah. you can't be a non-national and you can't be involved in drug trafficking and you can't be a, a Russian hacker and all those sorts of things who are the really good ones. Yeah. So you're going to end up with about three or four US people that can actually do it. So so maybe $150,000 is enough. But, yeah. you know, I understand what you're saying. I always think these things are sort of like double-edged swords, aren't they? They sound like a really good idea. Come and see if you can get into into my system. And then if you do... Don't tell anybody about it, but tell me. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, well, I this stuff's right. going on all the time oh, anyway, yeah. right? So by 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 encouraging it and by setting up the the, the processes through which people can communicate through, uh, but, but it, it doesn't make be a lot of sense. Better off going out and hiring a firm of ethical hackers or something to do it. I don't know. I mean, that's how I would. Have. Well, you'd probably spend a lot more than your hundred and fifty thousand, okay. Bill. And uh, so they're doing it on so, the cheap. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think there's 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 a bit a bit more to it. I think this is something that that aligns them with the with the with the hacking community yeah. with the white hat hackers because they're they're participating in a way that people are pretty comfortable with and that people and they they enjoy the, these types of engagements. So no, I think I think it's a really good move. Okay, but I'm just going to throw something out here. I wonder what Tesla are off white yeah. hat hackers to find faults. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's quite common to see these sort of 10,000 US or, yeah. or a bit, bit more, bit less type bug bounties. And I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not, not sure what, uh, what Tesla are doing in that space, but it's um, probably something that they would be participating in too. Now, Huawei were, were just in the media with um, massive increase in uh, their earnings, their profit sort of shoot, shooting up. Um, we saw that one last week, I think, an increase in their revenue of, Thirty-seven uh, percent year on year. Um, this little business is starting to become um, pretty serious, isn't it, Bill? Yeah, I think I think most of that increase in revenue was from retooling uh, telecoms within China. I think a large part of it was a big, uh, some big purchases within China. But Huawei is coming from pretty much nowhere a decade ago to. They're what now number three in mobile phones. Yep. They're devastated the um, the equipment for telecommunications companies. I mean, um, it was only recently that Nokia and Alcatel Lucent had to get back into they had to get into bed with each other, pretty much because of Huawei. Mm. And a few years ago, there was a whole sort of layer of companies supplying telecommunications at that level. Huawei's pretty much got that market. And they've got a very broad reach when it comes to the the number of products and services they actually provide. So they, you could yeah. just about get anything. You could run a whole telco and provide everyone with a phone yeah. from Huawei. That's yeah. right. And, and, and last year or a couple of years ago, they got into enterprise computing as well. So there are rack-mounted servers and God knows what there as well. So the ambition is there. down to making the microprocessors and and uh, some in smartphone and their smartphones and so on as well, aren't they? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just um, stick my neck out here. I think that Huawei is probably going to be the first Asian, real Asian tech giant. Now people are going to say, well, what about Samsung? Samsung's real business comes from making components and things like fridges and so on. They're, they're as a I mean, they're they're pretty advanced technology, but they're not a tech company as such. They're actually a you know a company, a manufacturing company with some tech components. Yeah. Whereas Huawei really is tech through. You know, it's got tech written through it, like Blackpool through a stick of rock. It's it's, and I think they're going to be the first Asian giant in that space. And not many years from now, Huawei will be talked about in the same sort of way we talk about. Well, we used to talk about IBM, but we now talk about you know the likes of. Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Apple. Um, it's going to be one of those global big brands. It would be interesting because I think there, because there are still some markets that they're locked out of. So, yeah. yeah. You know, they're not allowed to build, well, the Americans won't let them build mobile networks in America. In, in Australia, they're not allowed to provide, well, when I say they're not allowed to, 
um, I mean, the builders of the MBN can't use Huawei equipment. I mean, in New Zealand, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find a telco in New Zealand that's not using, or the big ones anyway, that is not using Huawei equipment in some shape or form and in Huawei, their networks. You can't, you can't even take a Huawei cable into the US. No, you can't. Cable, yeah. No. So, yeah. By cable, you're, you're talking an under, undersea fibre optic link into yeah. the US, aren't yeah. you? Not, you can't carry one in your uh, carry-on luggage. <laughs> No, that's right. We couldn't, no. And, and we had the story last week where we heard one of our After Five events, we heard Muck Rushworth talking about funding their cable, the Pacific Fibre Cable. They had the funding for it, but it was from China. Yeah. And so as soon as that got out, and they were going to have to use Chinese builders to actually pull the cable through, the American government said, no, you're not landing on our yeah. um, backyard. So despite all that, Huawei's huge. I mean, they're mm. huge in Europe. They're, they're pretty much huge everywhere except the US, and that's coming. Hmm. And what they have is they, they they have a very sort of clear vision of where they want to be and what they're doing. There's there's no sort of there's no sort of fuzziness about it like there is with some of those big tech firms. There's it's it's really impressive. I like I said, I think that's they're going to be the first mega tech giant out of Asia. All that you've seen before, you know, the Sonys, the Samsungs, the LGs, and so on, will be dwarfed. By Huawei. Mm. Yep, it's fascinating. And, uh, you know, they're, they're coming out with better and better uh, products aimed at, at the consumer side of, of things as well. Oh, they're moving um, up the, um, so, moving up you know, the tree. Yeah. We've had the Mate, the Mate 8, which is a you know gorgeous sort of larger form, form factor uh, uh, smartphone in, in recent weeks launched here in New Zealand. And then uh, they've just had their uh, their global launch for the uh, Huawei uh, P9, which you know a slightly uh, smaller form factor. I think coming in around 5.2 inch um, display, so similar to the P8 that they launched uh, last year, but you know with its specs sort of bumping up and uh, this uh, dual 12 megapixel uh, camera on the rear and so on. So um, yeah, they're, they're, they seem to be everything that they do. They're they're putting the really putting the money yep, into. There are. There's uh, another thing about their products. phone business and that is is if you look at what uh, the mobile phone industry apple makes all the profit pretty much i mean of, of every dollar earned from selling a mobile phone i think apple makes 80 cents samsung makes probably i don't know 10 12 samsung's actually done a lot better in the last year than it had been doing so it's it's improving but huawei is making good margins as well as as so so that's so that's a strength that the company has as well it's um it's doing what it does and it's doing it profitably so i think that china is definitely on the map as far yep. as that's concerned now a couple of other things that i wanted to have a quick chat about uh one we, we've seen some news come through around uh wearable uh biosensors that are coming through into um the healthcare space so uh these sensors that'll be able to be uh basically a, a patch that you'll be able to uh, attach to the skin and this will be able to will have have a range of uh, sensors on it and able to m- monitor you when you're uh, when you're in a, a hospital uh, type scenario without all these sort of wires and so on that uh, that you've been used to in the past when you go into a hospital just a, a sticky sensor that gets attached to you and uh, and then is uh, is reporting back uh, continuously this looks pretty interesting uh, yeah one thing about that one thing that occurred to me about that though is I was I have I had to go in for um, I have to, I have a regular treatment on my eyes and I was in the hospital a couple of days ago and as I walked in there was a sign telling me to switch my mobile phone off 
And I was thinking, why? And I said, Where was this? Uh, this was Waitakere Hospital. And I okay. said, Well, why am I supposed to switch my mobile phone off? Because it interferes with our equipment. So they, they're getting past that because you yeah, know we, 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 we you know we've got the trial that uh, I think Vodafone are doing with uh, North Shore uh, Hospital where they're uh, they're rolling out iPads and uh, Wi-Fi. National Health Service in the UK, which have, you know of course have announced that they're they're delivering uh, broad access to uh, to free internet and in, in, in their systems and so on. So it sounds to me a little bit like not entirely like, but it has some similarities to you must turn your mobile off in, in the airplane because uh, yeah. you know. Most most planes now, certainly in the, in the US and so on, tend to have Wi-Fi on uh, on yeah. board, and some of them have uh, have have three three G uh, type capabilities yeah. on on the well, flights as well. It, you're right because most people would still have their phones on. Yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't being heavily enforced. The point is is that there must be. I mean, there's a lot of spectrum, I suppose, knocking around inside a hospital. You know, there's a, um, it's not just the parts of the spectrum we use for telecommunications mm. what's an x-ray machine but. well and we had an interest there was an inter- interesting uh, group of callers that was mostly after i'd gone off here on uh, radio live a couple of weeks ago talking talking about all the interference from mobile devices and uh, wi-fi and how uh, how they were basically people being allergic to it and how it would, would ruin their lives so yeah this yeah. is interesting oh, we're back. bits and pieces going on back there. to mobile towers yeah well look <laughs> There was a really, um, just going back to basics around wearables and stuff, I mean, last night on the news there was a story of a guy in the States who uh, had a stroke and he had a problem with his heart. The, the, his heart rate shot through the roof. I, and, I saw that, yeah. Yes, and they turned up at the hospital. He couldn't speak. He couldn't tell what was going on. They used his Fitbit to find out when his heart rate went up so they could tell how much of what they, uh, you know, how much drugs to yeah. give and for how long. Um, because they're able to link to his Fitbit. So wow. already you can see the value of wearing these things that are tracking your health. Um, now, last up, and I know you both have some uh, some comments on this. Of course, the Hawaii Key Cable has uh, mm. has been it's been confirmed. It is it is actually happening, and we're we're going to see this extra uh, link between uh, New Zealand and the uh, US, the rest rest of the world, with a, a big uh, big fiber optic cable. What what are we talking here in terms of investment, Craig? Yeah, this is um, hundreds of millions of dollars, and it's being funded privately, really, because um, well, at least the capital, the initial capital, and the thing that kicked it over the line was an investment by a New Zealander called Malcolm Dick. Yeah, Malcolm yep. Dick, Call Plus, who, who sold Call Plus to yeah. him too. Look, just a fascinating aside was that the press release came out on the morning of April the first. So you know, you do take <laughs> double takes. I mean, I had a press release ready to go out about our rural symposium, and my PR guy said, "You never send out a press release on the first of April." Well, what happens? We get Hawaii coming out with big words saying, "This is not an April Fool's yeah. joke." So look, you read it and you read it again because there's been various attempts to get up. Another cable. I mean, no one debates that we're going to need another cable. Even even if Southern Cross lasts to its last dying legs in 2030, I think is what they're saying yeah. now, we're going to need to build something before that. I mean, Southern Cross has been a well-engineered, well-maintained, reliable system, and the history of that cable... I mean, we've got situations in Australia. I don't know how many cables are down now at the moment. Two three, or three. I think, yeah. Three international cables that have been... that have got shunt faults and things on them, yeah. so they're being fixed. So we've been very fortunate, which is probably one of the reasons well, why I'm we think sure. we need another one. But, Craig, I'm not so sure we've been fortunate. I mean, I, I from what, what I pick up, I think it's been well-managed as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. The, the thing is, is that at the after-fives, at the two hands after-fives, the 
Southern Cross made a really good case for not building another cable. But the truth well, is... Well, of course they would do that. Yeah, they don't want any competition. Exactly. Of course they would. However, the, the thing is, is that it's not really about competition. It is about resilience. I mean, if there's a... You know, our entire economy hinges on that cable. We've got two of them. If your life hinged on two pieces of string that were holding you from the tower or something, you'd want a third one. If you had the option of a third one, you'd take it. So I, I'm... And we're getting two more, aren't we? We've got, I mean, at, yeah, at least. Yeah. So we've that's got the, the, current, the link yeah. that's already being well, being built between... We could get more. So Australia and... There's still another Trans-Pacific one that's still in the um, air. In Blue it? Sky. Yeah. Out yeah. of American Samoa. So yeah, they, they're quite, they have to replace the leg that they have between American Samoa... Hawaii, which is the old pack, they're using the old Packram cable at the moment. Which so it might as well come here because it's not. It might as well come here. Yeah. Yep. Well, so, it's a fair, it's a fair more distance, but I guess you're, uh, you've you've covered off a pretty big chunk. But you see, they need resilience yeah. too, so they need a second link, and it can go, it can go from us, or it can go to Australia, pretty much, and um, might as well come here. So, so the thing is, once we've got these done, I mean, the thing is, the chances of all five being out, you know. I think it was I think it was um, Goldfinger who said, "What once is happenstance, twice is a coincidence, three times is enemy action." <laughs> well, that's what it's like with these cables. You know, the more we got, the safer we are. Okay, quick question: How much chance is there that this falls over and and doesn't actually happen, or or is there, Ooh, or is there that's, enough funding? That's exactly I mean, exactly the question I asked on the night uh, at, that, uh, at that function. I mean, because you know we've heard of cables coming in the past, and then they've you know they've they've fallen over. Now yeah. I'm not sure any have got as far as this but um, I, I asked, you know to me until they start building it i'm i'm a little bit hesitant yeah, to be that's ex- to be entirely confident well, that's exactly the question i asked and the answer i got was yeah it's never actually done until it's done but this is the point now where if people pull out then there are penalty clauses and money to pay and so on so that means that it's it's past the ninety percent likely, but it's so let's just check where we are. So the cable between here and Australia TGA that's been funded by Spark, Vodafone, and Telstra is in build phase. So there's uh, Tasman, Tasman Global Tasman Access, Global, isn't it? It's underway. Go. Well, it's it should underway. no, it no, it should actually be being built now. But the 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 ship is oh, fixing Tasmania. Yes, they're, oh, yes. they're doing the land. They're <laughs> yeah, doing the landing work. So yeah. they're actually. So they're actually that one's going to happen. Yeah, we'll have that. That'll be online this time next year. Yep. The other two that we've been thinking about, the Hawaii and the Blue Sky, both of them claim to have issued build contracts with providers, yep. one with TGM, one with, um, well, what's Nokia now. Um, but, yeah, until that ship turns up and starts hauling that fibre, I'm not completely convinced yep. it's going to happen, Paul. Well, I, yeah, I, I think it's probably you know, like in the 80 90% range of likely to happen when, that, when we're at this point. But it's not a hundred percent. It's no. not a done deal till that. It's not even a done deal when the ship goes. It's a done deal when the two ends are connected and people are talking down that cable. Then we have a then we have a link. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll wait. We'll look forward to that. Of course, we're not going to see uh, too many immediate benefits, but it's it's really a de-risking thing, I think, for uh, for for the country. Now, Bill, just remind us how we track you down online. On Twitter, I'm Bill Bennett NZ two n's and two t's and my website is billbennett.co.nz always lots of interesting uh, tech stories and telecommunication stories up there you oh, had some pretty a, interesting ones over the last few weeks there's a pretty big one about the cable <laughs> and some big ones about spectrum too yeah so, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's been some great coverage and Craig Young, where do we track you down? Well, our website is uh, 2ends.org.nz and has been for a long time. Yeah. And then I'm on Twitter uh, at 2 nco I think on Facebook at 2 nco as well. 
Excellent. And you can track me down uh, at Paul Spain on uh, on Twitter. Uh, and of course, uh, visit nztechpodcast.com to keep up to date with our, uh, our various bits and pieces and podcasts.co.nz to, to look at the cool new uh, podcast we've got coming up. Uh, some interesting uh, bits and pieces we'll be launching in the in the next few weeks ahead and worth looking out for uh, some of our existing ones like uh, My Kiwi Life and the New Zealand Entertainment Podcast. So a, a new uh, New Zealand motoring podcast episode uh, that's out this week. So that's us for this week. Thank you everybody for, uh, for taking the time to listen in and to join us and we'll catch you again next week. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.